Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me. And walk this lovely Well, good evening. Happy Shabbat to uh, one and all for my Jewish friends out there who uh, detest the fact that someone would actually celebrate the Shabbat by speaking about uh, Yahweh uh, and doing his work. I'm sorry for you, uh, but you probably have already clicked off since uh, you don't uh, um, think that it's appropriate to listen on the uh, Shabbat. That would be going way too far. Uh, it is uh, uh, part of a uh, ongoing series that we're doing. Uh, on Islam that we will proceed with again today. Uh, The reason that we're doing this is, uh, well, because Yahweh asked me to do it. Uh, I was first asked to do this uh, when I first met Yahweh. Uh, At a time, I didn't even know his name. That would have been uh, on Teruah in 2001 uh, and uh, basically a week after 9-11-2001 when I was asked to expose and condemn uh, Islam, which is a mission uh, that very few people survive. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was not exactly like the world's greatest honor here that, uh, that God reached around to a, uh, a, uh, a guy that was wholly unqualified and said, I want you to do this for me. And you're going to jump up and down and say, hooray, hooray, uh, lucky me. Uh, no. This was uh, uh, about as, uh, as exciting as I'm sure Moshe was when Yahweh uh, asked him to go back to Egypt, uh, where he was uh, wanted for murder and would have been um, killed had Yahweh not had his back. Uh, and so it's, there are times when you say, okay, uh, you are God, and so uh, who am I to turn you down? But are you sure you really want to do this? Uh, at the time... I, I, I wrote Prophet of Doom. Uh, it became one of the best read books worldwide on, uh, on Islam. Uh, matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I shared um, uh, a moment of, of pride, really, uh, and that I shared that the number one country per capita readership uh, of, uh, of Prophet of Doom over the years had been in Iran. And I mm-hmm. shared uh, with our listeners that 
uh, over this period of time that Iran has gone from 99% of those who lived there were uh, identifying themselves as Muslims down to the point now that, um, well, it happens to be 40% is the correct number, 37% if you discount uh, mystical uh, Sufi Islam, uh, which is kind of like uh, uh, Scientology, I guess. Uh, but uh, if you discount that, it's 37% of of Iranians identify as Muslims. Uh, only about 35% or less, I think 33 is the right number, that identify as Sufi Muslims, which is what the Ayatollahs are, uh, about 5% or so as Sunni Muslims. But now 50% of Iranians identify as secular, as either humanists or uh, as agnostics, as atheists, or uh, no thank you, I don't care for religion. Um, pretty remarkable that the country has changed that remarkably. And, uh, well, I can't tell you what percentage of those made this decision based upon profit of doom, even though it was the top country in terms of readership per capita, uh, and how many made that decision because of the vileness of the uh, Ayatollahs. Uh, probably a combination of, of both. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I did uh, uh, investigate because I, I put those findings in uh, volume one of, uh, of uh, Goddamn Religion, and, uh, which is the remake of Prophet of Doom. And, and I had uh, our most devoted uh, uh, editor uh, uh, go into role also a fact checker. He said, no, you know, Wikipedia says 99% identify as Muslim. Wikimedia is very, very influenced by Islam. You can look up almost anything related to Islam, and uh, Wikipedia mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, is almost like a paid client. Um, but uh, in this case, uh, I was able to, actually, Leah found it, uh, an uh, extraordinary um, poll survey. And the whole procedures was, were printed in an article of, of 40,000 people, how they reached them, how they handled the demographics what their questions was, what the, uh, the outcome was, and was able to show that truth matters. Uh, yeah. Words can change people's lives, and I was uh, very pleased to, uh, to find that. Um, I wrote uh, Prophet of Doom a little over 20 years ago. I told you I was asked to do so by Yahweh. He happens to be the god of uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, he is the God of Yisrael. He happens to be the only actual God. His name is pronounced Yahweh. Uh, it's exceedingly easy to figure out how to pronounce it. In fact, if you can say Torah, you can say Yahweh. Um, it's comprised of, of four vowels. It's never been difficult to pronounce. Those who say that it should not be pronounced are religious buffoons that don't want people to know it. They don't want anyone to have a personal relationship with Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh's position on this is quite different. He is insistent that we, uh, we know it, insistent that we use it. If you do not know it, if you do not use it, then he does not know you, and you have a 0% chance of being part of his covenant or spending eternity in his company. So when Yahweh asked me to do this, I, I was um, very much uh, uh, wet behind the ears. I, uh, I had just begun my relationship with him. I had not yet begun to translate the uh, the Torah, the Prophets, and Psalms. You know, now I'm 
30-some-odd books on the shelves uh, uh, since that time. You write 30 books on what Yahweh had to say, and uh, I guarantee you that you learned something along the way. And so now as I go back and consider what I wrote uh, some uh, 20 years ago, in some ways I'm impressed in the sense that uh, I think the Prophet of Doom, even in its original form, is the most effective, most uh, comprehensive, uh, uh, most irrefutable uh, text that's ever been written against the Islamic religion. It uses the Islamic hadith, which is called Sunnah, uh, to rearrange the Quran chronologically, to set it into the context of Muhammad's life, uh, and to expose Muhammad and Allah for who they really are. Uh, and I don't think there's ever been a text, in fact, I would, I would stand by that. There has never been anything on parallel with it, uh, because it does not use the worst behavior of Muslims to condemn Muslims. It does not uh, cite uh, a series of scholars to condemn uh, uh, Islam. It condemns Islam using Muhammad's words and his uh, pet rock, Allah's words. And they are despicable. I mean, Muhammad is quite frankly the most reprehensible man who ever lived. Uh, Yes, there have been lots of rapists, and he was a serial rapist. Yes, there have been lots of pedophiles, and uh, he had a serious problem with pedophilia. Yes, there have been lots of terrorists, and Muhammad was a consummate terrorist. There have been many mass murderers, and yes, Muhammad was a mass murderer. Uh, there have been many uh, psychopathic sadists in the world who uh, took great pleasure in the torture of others. He certainly did, but he was hardly alone in that regard. The thing that made Muhammad the worst man who ever lived is he was all of those things while convincing people that he spoke for God. Makes him the most reprehensible person who ever lived. Allah, at, uh, at first glance, you would assume that uh, Allah and Muhammad are one and the same. They have exactly the same psychotic demeanor. They're both equally sadistic. They're both uh, exceedingly thin-skinned. Uh, they're both... Uh, nincompoops. I mean, they are l absolutely stupid. They're both absolutely dependent on plagiarizing others. The Quran without plagiarism uh, becomes like three pages. There's, mm -hmm. there's really nothing, nothing left of it. Uh, they twist that which they have plagiarized in ways that would only fool a fool. You have to be a complete, mm -hmm. utter idiot to be a Muslim. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Uh, so the first impression would be these two are inseparable. But on further thought, <clears throat> there are statements that are made in the Quran that a, uh, an idiot um, terrorist in Arabia would never have made on his own reconnaissance. And so when you, when you look at the insistence that uh, Allah is not only God, but that he alone is God, that he works with no one, he has no friends, he has no associates, he has no partners, uh, which, of course, is hypocritical for Allah to say, since he claims that uh, Abraham was uh, his uh, good buddy and that uh, his prophet and that uh, Moshe was his good buddy and his prophet and that uh, Isis is... Uh, uh, was his good buddy and prophet. That would be the Christian Jesus. And, of course, Adam and Noah and 
on down the line all uh, worked uh, for even Alexander the Great worked for Allah. It's kind of hard for him then to claim that he had no associates, no partners and no friends. But nonetheless, uh, hypocrisy does not uh, matter in Islam. Facts don't matter when it comes to faith either. Uh, when you when you contemplate the, the realization of Allah's insistence that he alone is God with all evidence to the contrary, and while everything you read is a twisted deceit, and you consider it from the perspective provided by my good friend, uh, the man that uh, I can't wait to spend uh, a good part of eternity with, Yashaya, Isaiah. Uh, in the 14th chapter, he tells you all about this individual and how he will intermix truth and lies uh, to confound and confuse, Babel. And that he will arise as a Lord seeking to be worshipped as God. His name is Hillel ben Shakar. That's Satan's actual name. And so the Allah of the Quran isn't just Muhammad's alter ego, although their personality and character, intelligence level is, is indistinguishable. The fact of the matter is, Allah is Satan. Mm-hmm. And it is obvious. I'm not the first to come to that conclusion. Uh, uh, Sir uh, Mills, uh, way back, uh, um, I guess uh, a little over 100 years ago, actually wrote a book on Muhammad where he came to that conclusion, although he did from a very different perspective, which was uh, he was trying to advance Christianity, I am not. Which is one of the things that makes this rewrite of of now goddamn religion so interesting, is that uh, um, I do not do what everyone else has done as they've tried to expose Islam. They have either tried to compare it to Christianity, or they've tried to compare it to Judaism, uh, and uh, have taken the position of, of someone who either is religious or someone who is an atheist to expose and condemn the religion. And I am cer- not an atheist, and I am certainly not a Christian or a practitioner of Judaism. And so it is an equal opportunity um, attack on religion with uh, Islam in this particular book being uh, foremost. But that is what we're up against. And I would not have returned to this book uh, unless two things had had occurred. Uh, One is I was translating a, uh, a prophecy about God's rebuke of Gaza. Zephaniah is the prophet. Uh, before the sun rose on the Shabbat of October 7th. And as I was doing that, my wife walked into uh, my room in tears and said, you're not going to believe what's, uh, what's happening. But Gazians are flooding into uh, Israel, and there's an announcement that there may be as many as 20 uh, Israelis dead. Well, as we know, that number increased to what is probably going to be 1,500 before it is is done, maybe 1,600 before it is all uh, done. And it wasn't just the murders. It was uh, gang rapes. It was uh, sadistic mutilations of individuals, burning people alive, uh, kidnapping, uh, and all manner of of heinous behavior. I I would view it as the single worst display of uh, human behavior 
in the last 1,000 years. It's the day that the world forever changed, and it will never go back because it wasn't just about the many Jews that were mutilated and sadistically uh, ravaged by Muslims. Uh, it's about the millions of Muslims who have rioted and uh, protested around the world advocating on behalf of uh, Islam and advocating on behalf of terrorism. A uh, recent poll published today of, uh, of Fakistinians, uh, the people who masquerade as Palestinians. Uh, of them, 83% think that uh, what uh, the Gazians did was appropriate, that it's okay to rape Jews, to kill little Jewish babies, to kidnap them, to torture them, to mutilate them, to commit acts of mass murder. 83%. That's why I say there is no such thing as an innocent civilian Gazian. Uh, they're all complicit. And the problem isn't Hamas. The problem isn't Hezbollah. The problem wasn't ISIS. The problem wasn't Al-Qaeda. I've been saying this now for 22 years. Mm -hmm. The problem is Islam. And the biggest issue in the West is twofold. One is that progressives have such an influence today in the media and in academia and our society politically. And they have sided with, they're aiding and benefiting, coddling, promoting Islam. The most hellacious, depressing, repressive, anti-feminine, anti-enlightenment dogma ever conceived by humankind. So true. And so yes. with the world having erupted against Israel and and when you watch these moronic Muslims uh, threatening people on America's college campuses and, and the United States Capitol in public streets and squares, kicking and harassing Jews, screaming, I mean, literally out of their mind, mm -hmm. unreachable, yes. unsalvageable, savages. You realize that the world is never going to be what it was. They have been unleashed. The monster is out. I, uh, I wrote uh, today, I was editing uh, volume two of, of Goddamn Religion, which will be four volumes when it's done, probably upwards of 2,000 plus pages. And as I was writing it, I, I, I had to take a pause and say, do you understand that based upon the world's reaction to what occurred in Israel on October 7th of this year, that Muhammad is in your streets, he's outside your door, and he is a rapist, he's a pedophile. Mm -hmm. He's involved in human trafficking, the slave trade. He's a sadistic terrorist. He's a mass murderer. And he is outside of your door. What are you going to do about it? You know, once upon a time when I 
first tackled Islam right after 9-11 in 2001. They told Americans, you know, there's three things you can do to thwart the advance of Islamic terrorism. If you don't do it, it will ultimately destroy you. But that was a long way off. And America did every possible thing it could do wrong. Made the situation vastly worse than it previously was. Went out and, uh, and lashed its symptoms and manufactured more Islamic terrorists than it killed and took the innocent lives of millions of people in the process. It's a horrible response. Mm-hmm. And I begged America not to do it. We made bad situations worse in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And I'm not a Monday morning quarterback. I predicted this um, instantly. I mean, right after 9-11, I was able mm-hmm. to to uh, speak this way forthrightly, and not only in my books, but on radio. It's a very difficult, difficult, different situation, I should say, uh, now here, um, but six weeks after the uh, 10-7-23 invasion of uh, Israel. First, the Muslims were an entirely different level of sadistic. Their desire to um, rape and mutilate and burn alive, kidnap Jews, was much more personal than flying planes into uh, buildings on 9-11. And on 9-11, while Muslims celebrated worldwide, there wasn't the, the frenzy to scream, death to Jews from the river to the sea Palestine will be free which means the state of Israel they want to remove from the face of the earth and they want to annihilate every Jew it's being shouted across the world that did not happen you did not see Muslims in America or Europe on college campuses and then in the capitals, marching by the tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands, finding Jews and kicking them to death. It's open season now on Jews. This is a profound change, and that monster is not going back into the box. And what I said immediately after this happening was that Israel is in a series of no-win scenarios. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand Israel's desire to go into uh, to Gaza and root out Hamas, but it can't be done. Yes, I know they've had uh, success. They probably killed a few thousand uh, Hamas militants. They've blown up a whole lot of tunnels. They have confiscated enormous amounts of weapons. Can no more eliminate Hamas, the man in the moon. Can't be done. Yeah. And even if you were to kill every Islamic Hamas militant, which isn't possible, the disease would just metastasize into a different cult. Al-Qaeda was killed. ISIS was born. You kill Hamas... It'll be Islamic Jihad. It's just a different name for the same manifestation. Problem is Islam. So you can't, you can't eradicate it. Can't be done. Israel 
I understand that Israel wants to occupy Gaza from a military point of view. They can't trust anybody, certainly not the Egyptians, certainly not the United Nations, certainly not the Europeans, certainly not the Americans, because the shipments into Gaza of food and fuel and all sorts of things filled with with automatic weapons and anti-tank weapons and explosives filled with it. Israel can't allow that to happen again. But even in the West Bank, they just recently found the, the largest stash of weapons anywhere in the in Janine, which means you can't put the PA in charge of Gaza. You'll have exactly what they're experiencing now in the West Bank. Right. Yeah. In Judea and Samaria. Can't be done. Israel can't mm. stay. Israel can't leave. The longer Israel continues to fight this enemy that mutilated its people, the more the world hates them. But they can't stop. It has to be done. But they're galvanizing the world against them. Never has a country ever gone to the extent they have gone to to try to protect civilians, even when those civilians aren't innocent, and when 83% of them would prefer them dead. And yet, when Hamas wouldn't allow the refugees to leave northern Gaza, Israel, they were shooting them, their own people. Israel was the one that opened up a corridor. Do you think anyone in the world thanked them? No. When the hospital ran out of fuel, it was Israel that provided fuel. Anyone thanked them? No. When they needed hospitals in southern Gaza, Israel built them. Anyone thanked them? No. When Food and supplies were allowed into Gaza. The very people who perpetrated this hellacious attack on Israel. And Israel asked, somebody needs to supervise this. And the United Nations said no. You know why they said no? Because they didn't want to be seen supporting something Israel wanted. Even when that what Israel was doing was saving lives and protecting lives. That's how disgusting the United Nations has become. Mm -hmm. This is how far the world has fallen. All the while, in the United States, the Secretary of State and National Security Advisor having a conniption fit over what Israel is doing. Oh, you can't can't create a, a fight in a hospital. There are innocent people there expecting doctors to care for them. You can't do that. What did Israel do? They went in, they supported the doctors. They volunteered to transport anyone out of those hospitals and ambulances, take them into their own hospitals. They even said, we'll take the children in incubators, we'll provide you with incubators, and if you'd prefer, we'll take them into our own hospitals and care for them. And Israel takes the risk of being shot by uh, the, uh, the militants when they're, in fact, trying to protect lives. Now, I'm going to tell you that by the time they're done, Gaza will be nothing but a heap of ruins. Why? Because every part of it was infested. Kindergartens, hospitals, schools, United Nations facilities, every aspect of it was infested. And if Israel has the choice between blowing it up or risking 
the lives of its soldiers, subjecting them to booby traps, for damn sure they're going to blow it up. You look at some of these explosions that are taking place now, and the secondary and tertiary explosions are extraordinary, which means when they're blowing up the building, it's filled with weapons, explosives, and ammunition everywhere under the bunks of children sitting there in grade school classes everywhere. There's never been uh, a people more prone to establish a terrorist military militant presence under the skirts of their women and next to their youngest children as these people, and yet the world is rallying to their side and against Israel. Israel's in a no-win position. There's nothing that Israel can do to prevail. Right. And this is especially true, ladies and gentlemen, my good friends in Judea and Sumeria. This is especially true because it, at this point, which you experienced on 10-7 of this year, something that I predicted right to the smallest detail as to how it would occur, doing so a year before it occurred, doing it on this radio program and doing it in my books. I'm also here to tell you that what you experienced, as brutal as it was, as savage as it was, this year on the 7th of October is 1% of what's going to happen sometime over the next few years. The next attack will be 10 times, or excuse me, 100 times more fierce. Mm-hmm. There'll be 100 times more missiles and rockets and drones, and there'll be 100 times the number of jihadists. They will infiltrate Israel's cities before the IDF has time to respond. Not that that's a hard thing to do, as we learned. And because of the numbers of rockets, they will grossly outpace the ability of the Iron Dome. And Israel's major cities will be in ruins, while the smaller towns are surrounded by Muslims who will be in a position to put Israel in a place where she can only surrender and sue for peace. And the imposition will be of the two-state solution, which is the final solution for Israel. There's no overcoming that. When that's done, it's over. Israel will be way too vulnerable, even if she survives long enough to endure the imposition of the two-state solution. That's what's going to happen. It is inevitable. The IDF cannot stop it. Right. Your politicians cannot stop it. And all the while, Israel is a nation divided, unable to establish a constitution, with an equal number of progressives that are completely lost, thoughtless, completely misled, shrill, but without substance on one side, and 
ultra-Orthodox Herodim on the other. Equally lost. Equally useless. Two groups of of what are essentially parasites, tearing Israel apart. And the core in between is not very strong because it is way too religious, religious, way too crazy. Doesn't mean there aren't some wonderful people in Israel. There are. Sure. My favorite people in the world are Israelis. But man, there's... 20 to 25 percent on the extremes, secular, progressives, and ultra-Orthodox religious that are parasites. They're counterproductive. Uh, it leaves, you know, maybe 50 percent of Israel that is salvageable. And of those, there's so many that are, uh, are lost. So it's a difficult agenda. I told you there was two reasons that uh, we've returned to uh, what was prophet of doom is now goddamn religion. Uh, yeah. One was what happened on 10-7 in Israel. Someone needed to explain the root cause of the problem, that it's Islam, not Hamas, not Iran, not Hezbollah. It's Islam. Not a radical version of Islam. Islam. Just Islam. Full stop. That's why I'm rewriting Prophet of Doom. But the other reason is that when I uh, I was reluctant to do it, I hadn't done it, hadn't returned to that book in over 20 years. And uh, you know, the thing that is, is so enjoyable for me is to translate Yahweh's prophets uh, out of the oldest manuscripts and then share the insights that can be derived from them and that's what I intended to do. Um, and so I asked Yahweh for a reprieve. I said, that's the last thing I want to do. Let's, let's add to Yahweh, yada Yahweh. Let's not go back there. He had none of it. He said, um, I've taken care of you. You now take care of my people. This needs to be done. And quite frankly, I'm, uh, I'm delighted that that was his approach. I was wrong. He was right. That's not uh, surprising. But the reason I'm so delighted is that uh, I made a lot of mistakes in, um, in Prophet of Doom. They were not mistakes regarding Islam, although there were lots of omissions regarding Islam. There's so much more to say that I just didn't say. But I made a lot of mistakes because at that time, I was unaware that the entire Christian New Testament was a complete fraud. Right. I was uh, unaware uh, that, uh, that yeah, we would never use the term Bible. It's based upon Babel with mm-hmm. Baal, the Lord, mm-hmm. part of that confounding confusion. And so it was essential to remove that junk to recommend the book so that Israel might understand what was happening to them, who they were fighting, and how they could best defend themselves. So I'm delighted from that point of view that I've had this opportunity to clean that up and get it right. So with that said, we're going to go back to where we were um, this time uh, last week. We were 
I think I had just shared, uh, from volume one, page 188 of Tabati. Tabati is one of four hadith collections that comprise uh, goddamn religion. Uh, they are Ishak's Sirah, which was the first book written about Muhammad and his foundation of Islam, the only one written within 200 years of Muhammad's uh, uh, life, um, the Ishak called the biography of, uh, of Muhammad by uh, Hadith collections um, compiled by Ishak. Uh, Tabati uh, is a, wrote a history, it's called the Tariq. Uh, he came about 150 years later and used a lot of, of Ishak's Hadith collections um, and used them in a, uh, a chronological process to be able to present Islam from its creation accounts all the way through its conquests. I uh, include uh, all the way through Muhammad's death in, uh, in my review of the Quran and, uh, and, and things that I quote from Tabati. There's also the two hadith collections that are uh, arranged by context, uh, by uh, content, if you will, uh, and that is by Bukhari and Muslim. Um, and to that, of course, we, uh, uh, my site, eh, probably 80% of the Quran in, uh, in goddamn religion. Far more of it now than I did uh, previously. So this was That's from impressive. Tabati, volume 1, 188. Uh, it reads, he said, Allah created the earth on Sunday and Monday. He created the mountains and their uses on Tuesday. On <laughs> Here, of course, he forgot to create the... The, uh, the stars and the rest of the universe or light or anything of that nature. And, uh, and I don't know what he's talking about in terms of a Sunday and Monday. There weren't days of the week during the creative process. But nonetheless, that's what he says. And he says that on Wednesday, he created uh, trees. Uh, uh, very nice of him to do so. But uh, uh, trees were not the first form of, uh, of life. Uh, then, rather than uh, when... Uh, making water available that life could emerge from it. The water follows trees. And the next thing on the list is before creating uh, man, he, he created cities. So we are not dealing with a very smart uh, prophet or God. Uh, then uh, he created uh, cultivated and barren land, recognizing that there was no one to cultivate it at this point on Wednesday. On Thursday, he created the heavens. Not that he came from the heavens or that they, they existed first. No, indeed, he created the earth, trees, water, cities, and cultivated in barren land before, before he created the heavens. Uh, and I think that part of that is the fact that uh, Allah uh, uh, has been excluded from heaven and uh, doesn't think much of it because Allah is Satan and he has been cast down to earth. On Friday, which, of course, that's the big day in the Islamic world, he created the stars. Uh, not recognizing that the earth is created uh, out of uh, the explosive residue of, uh, of first-generation <laughs> stars. Uh, he created then the sun, not recognizing that the sun, of course, is a star. He created the moon, not recognizing that the, uh, the earth and the moon uh, were essentially created uh, simultaneously. Uh, and then he created angels, so he was working without a spiritual cast up to that point. And they used the term angels from the, the Greek uh, at Jelos uh, until three hours remained. The last three hours, very, very busy. Uh, in those three hours, he created the terms 
the terms would be uh, who would live and who would die before he created the people who would be subjected to his fatalistic terms. In the, uh, the second hour of the three final hours of, the, of Friday, uh, he cast harm on everything that might be useful to mankind. No problem. Let's just go ahead and stack the deck and make certain that everything is miserable. But of course, that is what Satan needs. Satan needs to stack the deck against humankind so that there is no one awaiting Dodes and Yahweh's return on Yom Kippur. If there's no one to greet them when they return, which will be Yom Kippur, uh, year 6,000 Yah, October 2nd, uh, 622 p.m., sunset in Jerusalem in 2033. If there are no Jews waiting for Yahweh and Dode to return, then Yahweh will have had a false promise and his entire purpose in creating the universe will have been nullified. Right. Under that basis, Satan figures he wins. He gets to stay on the earth because there's no reason for God to return. I write these books. We do this show to assure that there are going to be a goodly number of right-minded, mm -hmm. open-minded, receptive Yehudim and Yisraelites there on October 2nd of 2033, ready to greet Yahweh and his beloved son, their Messiah, Dode. It is Dode whose voice we herald on behalf of Yahweh. In the second, he cast harm upon everything that is useful to man. And in the third, Adam, and he had him dwell in paradise. Now, he has gone to all this trouble to create the earth and and the mountains and uh, and all that they possess and then they cultivated and buried lands and the cities the trees the water uh the sun the moon the angels and all that sort of thing even the heavens and he puts adam in paradise which he had yet to create so it was interesting of course how readily muhammad was willing to speak for allah it was as if he were speaking for his ungod was a regular part of his routine almost if he knew everything that allah knew and Yet, judging by his answer, Muhammad may have done better if he had tried to solicit some advice. Uh, Muhammad's version uh, in his creation account here, the earth existed long before the stars, the, uh, the sun and the moon, which of course is impossible. Creating mountains and their uses somehow took precedence over plant life, uh, although uh, it mattered more than animals since they were not even put on the list. Uh, cities, of course, were conceived by the Islamic God, and land was cultivated, but not by humans. God is, and Islam is a micromanager. He is responsible for everything. So who was occupying those cities, of course, benefiting from them? The answer is no one, because Allah wants you to know that uh, every generation and city before, he took a personal glee in destroying one of the most common themes of the Quran. How many generations before have we destroyed? We took them while they were sleeping. How many cities have we destroyed? The answer, of course, is none. Allah is not capable of doing anything. He is completely impotent. Uh, Allah's uh, only uh, uh, success is in beguiling his slaves, Muslims, uh, who he calls slaves, into killing for him. Hmm. Then while not having created animal life, Allah became preoccupied determining who would live and die. Death becomes him. 
Then unmasking his true identity, uh, the snake cast harm on everything beneficial to man, even before having created him. It's called rigging the game. Adam, a name pilfered from Yahweh, has no connection with any of these things, not the mountains, the trees, the cities, because, of course, he is placed in paradise, which had not yet been created, by the way. And when uh, paradise is finally created by Allah, it is a brothel. It's filled with virginal boys and virginal uh, girls, uh, little children, who are passed around for the entertainment of uh, jihadists. Ugh. Disgusting. <sighs> yeah. Transitioning oh. from uh, non-profit to un-God, Allah's testimony regarding creation, even uh, uh, recreation, is considerably more indicting. Actually, it's should say recreation. Uh, this assessment begins by recognizing that the signs of the zodiac are a product of Babylonian astrology, the very thing that Yahweh is insistent that his people disown, that they walk away from before they can engage in a relationship with him. These signs represent a dozen pagan gods and goddesses, which is a little tough for the Quran to uh, explain, since uh, uh, Allah claims to work alone. So yeah. now the unmonotheistic Allah of Islam emblazons uh, another enormous blunder in his Quran and a surah that's actually named Signs of the Zodiac, the mansions of the constellations. It begins, I swear by the mansions of the stars and the zodiacal signs. <laughs> yes, indeed. Zodiac, 100% Babylonian uh, astrology. Uh, it is pure paganism. Uh, mm -hmm. It is as, uh, as wrong as it would be possible for someone pretending to be a monotheistic god could possibly say. Now, as for mansions of the stars, who are we to quibble? I ever been to a star to see whether or not they have a mansion? <laughs> Just because the Hubble Space Telescope has never taken a picture of the mansion doesn't mean that, you know, they might not exist. You know, I, who knows? Maybe they're made of asbestos and, and they're really giant and there uh, could be clear asbestos so you can still see the stars through them. Mm. Uh, and then the promised day, the next thing he wants to talk about from the zodiacal signs and the mansions of the stars, the promised day, which is the day of judgment, resurrection, and doom. This is something that uh, Allah cares deeply about because his day of judgment, the day of resurrection and doom, is the aforementioned October 2nd, 622 mm -hmm. p.m. in Jerusalem. Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations in 2033. It's his last day. He prevails if we fail and there are no Yehudim awaiting Yahweh's return. And if there are, and there will be, then it is Satan's day of doom. It is the day that he also calls the day of resurrection, as if resurrection were a possibility. Resurrection is from pagan religions. Pagan gods were killed every year, uh, always uh, around the... Uh, 
the uh, the time of the winter uh, solstice when when the uh, the shortest days of the year and and trees you know lost their leaves and things look really barren. That's when the uh, the pagan gods like Dionysus and Bacchus and the the like uh, Tammuz, uh, Cyrus. That's when they all died and they were always resurrected when in the vernal equinox when the uh, the days become longer when the flowers and the blossoms on the trees begin to arise it was a way for the pagans to explain why the uh the land blossomed again it was because their god was reborn he was resurrected resurrection is why the egyptians took so much time to build those gigantic pyramids and then mummified the pharaohs, and then surrounded them with enormous wealth and all the equipment, including even sh- ships that they would need in the afterlife because they would be bodily resurrected. For paganism, of course, it's impossible. Once you die and you are buried, your body is worm rot. It's a, it's a feast for all manner of of insects and worms and the like, beetles, that would uh, devour it. And what they devour is then devoured by other forms of life, like birds and the like, and other small mammals. And then they are devoured, and so goes the cycle. There is nothing to resurrect, and it would be counterproductive. The universe is useless if you have a physical body. Useless. Well, of course, unless there's uh, brothel in heaven and you get to expose yourself to the uh, the perpetual passing around of, of virginal boys and virginal girls. But since that's not going to happen, I can tell you that a body limits everything. With a physical body, you can't even get from one planet to another, much less across a solar system, much less across a galaxy, much less around a universe. It's all for naught. And... With a physical body, you cannot be eternal. It decays. You need to be transformed into a spiritual being and from three dimensions to seven if you're going to enjoy this universe the way it was intended. Resurrection is the dumbest idea ever conceived. But back in the time of pagans, they figured, you know, if you're going to have a heaven and hell, the only way to do it is to have a physical body and to torment that body or to apply all manner of decadence. And so that's the best that uh, Allah could come up with, and, and therefore it's the day of resurrection, the day of doom. And what he speaks of on that day of doom is his desire to torture and torment the vast majority of people. Quran 85.3, and by the witnessing day, and by the witnessed day, bearing witness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the witnessing day, and by the witness day, bearing witness. So, uh, while well, the editors here, the translators said, i.e. Friday, and i.e. the Hajj, uh, fact of the matter, uh, the Quran is filled with these things, where it just, you're, you're just looking at it and saying, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, Jared Prune, one of the the... the uh, greatest scholars uh, addressing uh, um, ancient texts like this says it's one out of five statements in the Quran that makes sense in no language. Uh, and the witnessing day and the witness day bearing witness is a senseless statement. 
Cursed are men of the trench, the ditch, and the pit. Uh, You don't really know if he's talking about the trench, the ditch, or the pit. And they're very different in Islam, as we shall see in uh, in a moment. So you have no idea which one of those that he's talking about, and you have no idea why the men are are uh, cursed, why they're in the trench, the ditch, or the pit. Full of fire, by fed by faggots. Yes, I read that correctly. Uh, fuel, full of fire, fed by faggots. So, on his day of doom, the great celebration of the day of doom is not the reconciliation of, of God with his people. No, it's a fire fed by faggots. Now, for those of you who said, you can't say faggot on the air, a uh, faggot uh, is actually, it's, it's original meaning. Do you guys know? What is a faggot? Yes. It's fire. Uh, who knows? Stick. Yeah. It's a stick. It's, right. a, it's a stick that has been uh, um, whittled down to the size or is already the size where it uh, uh, will catch fire quickly, and it's used to, uh, uh, to kindle a fire. Sure. Yeah. And so small sticks that are used to kindle a fire are called faggots. So people are now faggots feeding this fire because it's the people, the men, who are um, the faggots here. And that's not a sexual right. comment. I think those who have listened to this program know that I've got no issue whatsoever with homosexuality. You can be homosexual all day long. Some of my best friends are homosexual. I, I do not care. Uh, I wish you all the best. Right. When they set by it. So here now you have the people on the Day of Doom who are faggots sitting by the fire. And they witnessed what they were doing to the believer. Green TV here up. You got the faggots who are men uh, roasting in the fire, sitting by the fire, watching uh, what they had previously done to believers, i.e. Muslims nothing against them except that they believed in Allah, the Almighty, the owner of all praise. The, those who are allegedly going to be the faggots of the fire, because they decided to attack Muslims for no reason other than they thought that Allah was the deserver of all praise. Not because they went in and burned little children alive. Not because they kidnapped Jews, not because they are the primary purveyors of the slave trade worldwide and have been for 1,400 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are the reason that Africans were transported uh, to the New World. It wasn't the the English or the Dutch. It was Muslims who rounded them up, who enslaved those people, and who sold them. As, uh, as slaves. Uh, it's something for blacks as they run around and, and uh, riot on behalf of Hamas and Pakistanians. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, it's be, it has nothing to do with the, with the first hundred years of Islam of them wiping out a third of the world's population, robbing and raping their way uh, from India to Morocco. Nothing to do with the fact that Muslims have been terrorists, raping their, their wives and daughters, slaving their children, murdering the men. Nope. It's just because 
They uh, believe in Allah, the owner of all praise. You ever placed, read a place in the Torah where Yahweh says, I am the owner of all praise? No. no. Did he ask you to pray? No, no. <laughs> Real gods well, don't have to say stuff like that. No, they know. You know, Who and by the, way, by the way, God would never say it, not only because, you know, he knows who he is, he's not insecure, but because yeah. it's his job as a father to yeah. praise those who have come to know him and have uh, elected to work with him. Yahweh praises, for example, Noach. He said, Noach, listen to me. He did as I asked. This is a good man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yahweh praises Moshe. He said, he's the greatest of the prophets. Look what he did. This guy's extraordinary. Yahweh praises Dode. And when Samuel was all bent out of shape that uh, the people chose to reject him and, and to uh, have a yeah. government like the, uh, like the Gentiles, God said, hey, not to me. you're doing a great job. Not your fault. It's my fault. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Feel good about it. Did the same thing for Yashia. When Yashia went to heaven, God threw open the door. There was no one there. And Yashia said, oh, my God, I'm a total failure. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> Woe is me. And Yashia said, no, 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 no. You misread this whole thing. I'm going to take care of you. The words that you're revealing now are going to resonate with my people. Just not now. Here, let me show you what's going to happen. That's how Yashia and I became such great butts. Yahweh praises people. He says so many wonderful things about what we're doing together. Because he chooses to work with people, and like a father, he is really proud when his kids do good. Just the opposite of uh, Allah, who is interested in slaves. Quran 85.9 Who to whom belongs sovereignty? Of the heavens and of the earth, Allah is witness of all things. Again, this is Satan trying to assert the notion that he is not the adversary. No, he's God. The heavens belong to him. The earth belongs to him. Yahweh doesn't say that. You know what Yahweh says about sovereignty? I'm giving it to Dode. He's my son. Yeah. Exactly right. And Yahweh is absolutely not the witness of all things. Just some things. The moment God would be a witness to all things, he the whole purpose of uh of our existence goes away. Mm-hmm. Right. He it's essential that he not know all the junk in our lives. And he's blinded to it because of what he and Dode facilitated on the Mikra Matzah, where all of our guilt was taken from us and dropped off in Sheol by Dode's soul. So he doesn't see any of that. And he chooses not to witness what 99.99% of people do that is just a waste of their lives. He's not going to be irritated by all of that. And he doesn't even know 
not because he, he couldn't know if he wanted to, but he chooses not to know what we're going to do tomorrow, unless what we do tomorrow is so important that he needs to tell his people in the past of what we're going to do tomorrow so that they're ready for it and receptive to it. Otherwise, he wants to enjoy the moment. It's like if you had a kid and, and the entire script for the rest of that child's life was given to you in a movie and you could play it, what's the point? Right. It's just Allah is constantly trying to brag that he is the end-all and be-all, and the more he says, the more obvious it becomes. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Low verily, now I want to tell you, low verily, that, that is Allah's favorite. Low verily, they who try the believers, men and women, and repent not, theirs verily will be the doom of hell, and there the doom in the burning fire. Now, I don't know if, if there is there or there is there, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody gonna get burned. I I think it's actually supposed to be uh, there, as in the place is the uh, is the doom of burning fire. And by the way, the translations that I'm reading here are um, are um, combined. What I have found is that the five most popular translations differ so radically because mm -hmm. the Quran communicates uh, so deficiently. And so they're constantly scrambling to say, well, who's talking to whom? About what? When? Why? Where? And words just left out that are needed to make sense of this. And so mm -hmm. depending on which one you're reading, they've got words included that the others don't have. And none of it reads sensibly. I'm not sure Allah was any more literate than Muhammad. So lo, verily, they who try the believers, I don't know what they're trying, I don't know what the believers are trying, the, these men are trying, nonetheless, men and women, and they try the believers, they repent not, theirs verily will be the doom of hell. So if you challenge a Muslim, according to, uh, to the, uh, the God of Islam, you're going to burn in the fire. According to Yahweh, you've got to do a lot to, uh, to enter uh, hell, and there are no fires in hell. Hell is a place of separations, uh, away from God's light. It is darkness. It is a place where time exists eternally, and all other dimensions are constrained to the point that light itself can't escape. It is a place only for souls and for spirits. There are no physical bodies. There can be no fires. No bodies to torture. No burning. None of that's going to happen. It's just eternal separation from God. And if you choose to reject Yahweh, ignore Yahweh, um, be mistaken about Yahweh, be religious, whatever you choose to do, you don't go to hell. Your soul just seems to, uh, ceases to exist upon the end of your life. That's the vast majority of souls simply dissipate into nothing. There's no reward. There's no punishment. Those who accept the terms and conditions of the covenant 
spend eternity in Shamayim, those who deliberately either misled God's people or they tormented God's people, well, there's a special prize for you. You get to spend eternity in Sheol. But I can assure you that Yahweh is not there and you will not be tortured. You will just be separated from him, unable to escape for all eternity. That will be anguishing, but the anguishing is knowing what you gave up. And there's nothing you can do about it now. Lo, verily, those who believe and do good deeds, good deeds would be fighting in Allah's cause, furthermore, accepting the fact that Allah alone is God and that he has no partners, no friends, and no associates, for them shall be gardens beneath which rivers flow. That is the greatest success. Now, why the rivers would flow underneath the gardens rather than through the gardens, I don't know. Where these gardens are, do not know. God, uh, the God of Islam does not say. Why he wouldn't take uh, those that he um, prefers to heaven, we do not know. No, but they go either to gardens or into, uh, into paradise as physical bodies. 85.12. Lo, the punishing grip of your Lord is severe. <laughs> not the hand. Uh, reached out to lift people up. Nope, it's the punishing grip. And not of, uh, of uh, God here, but the Lord. The Lord is Satan. Uh, the idea of owning, of possessing, of controlling is why Yahweh refers to Satan as Baal, the, the Lord. 85.13 Lo, verily, it is he who initiates, then repents, creates, and then reproduces. Excuse me, repeats, not repents. Lo, it is he who initiates and repeats, creates, and then reproduces. So, uh, Allah is a revisionist God. He, uh, he has to revise. It's kind of like refried brains. He can't ever get them right <laughs> the first time. Uh, my guess is Allah's um. never been uh, compared to refried beans before, but such is my prerogative. Uh, I, if you don't have any idea here, you, you can you can get the feeling that I have no respect for Allah. I recognize who Allah is. He's Satan. I realize he has absolutely no influence on anybody at any time for any reason that he can possess somebody that doesn't know Yahweh, that is receptive to it, and he can uh, inspire them to say stupid stuff like Muhammad, like Paul. He himself has no ability to do anything, and I have no question, no issue, no concern whatsoever mocking him. He needs to be mocked. Yes. Right. But Absolutely. I do feel like I need to apologize since uh, Allah's claim uh, to creation and to recreation uh, didn't appear into the 13th verse. And this was uh, uh, a passage we addressed because, of course, we're in the creation uh, chapter of Goddamn Religion. And so uh, here the recreation verse didn't appear until the 13th. But nonetheless, I walked you through everything prior to it. The reason I did that is that it is th this process of how you get from one place to another and this repetitive uh, rant about, I hate everybody, I'm going to burn their britches, that mm -hmm. dominates the Quran. And the more we hear it, 
the more we recognize who Allah really is. So I walked you through this topsy-turvy recess of Allah's tormented mind to take you there. So let me explain the process. We can embarrass and mock Allah and Muhammad by quoting them on most any subject. And while doing so has merit, and I think it's entertaining, it is only by presenting their madness in their own words as a stream of consciousness that their demented and demonic nature is fully manifest. Therefore, I'd like to take the opportunity to unveil this narrative statement by statement. I swear by the mansions of the stars and zodiacal signs was the first verse, as you recall. Well, to mm-hmm. begin, a real God does not make promises to people. Uh, our real God does make promises to people. And then he honors them. That's the process that Yahweh takes. I make the promise. I honor what I say. He does not swear by inanimate objects. Ever. And there's no point of taking an oath when the oath is not explained. Which is not only the case here, but throughout the Quran. Stars, just in case you didn't know, I want to make this really simple for folks, are not alive. They do not have palaces. I'm relatively sure about that, reasonably sure. Therefore, Allah's opening statement begins errantly, which is unbecoming for God, actually. Uh, You know, to to err is human, but uh, not so much for God. But then the bottom falls out of Allah's credibility wagon with a reference to the signs of the zodiac. In a thinking realm, apart from religion, this would have been a fatal blow, annihilating Allah. The signs of the zodiac were essential to the Babylonian religion of astrology. The moment, the movement, I should say, of those constellations uh, were said to control, and they even today believe it, and control and predict uh, people's lives, events around the world. They were comprised of 12 gods and goddesses, an incongruent concept for a religion that claims that there's only one of them. In the order of their position on the pagan calendar, they are Aquarius, Pisces, Arius, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, and Capricorn. Therefore, in a single statement, there are six catastrophic mistakes in the allegedly perfect Quran. One, God ought not swear. Their promises should be to people, or at least to the object of the revelation. The oath must be shared to be of any merit. Stars do not have mansions. Inanimate objects cannot witness. And by calling the zodiac signs, Allah has become one of many pagan deities. 85.2 And the promised day of judgment, resurrection, and doom... I actually, Allah didn't say which day. He just said the promised day. That was filled in by the translators because, well, they know Allah. Allah has a terrible habit of not explaining himself. Or, for example, the promised day was not identified here, which is why the translators added in the parenthetical the three options that I gave you, which are used uh, intermittently throughout the Quran. Uh, As is the case here, random thoughts are haphazardly 
juxtaposed and often without identifying the subject. What is the transition between the stars having mansions and uh, being part of the zodiac and the promised day? None. It's a, it, when we speak, we have to use transitions. Um, uh, they relate. My wife will get excited about something. She'll come in and, and be talking about this. What are we talking about? What's the context here? You know, give me a clue where we are in this conversation. Uh, and, of course, you know, her mind, she's already well into it, and I, I should, you know, sure. be able to pick up where she was. Well, this is what Allah does all the time. There's never an intelligent transition for anything. It's like you just throw up words in, uh, in the sky, and it becomes a word salad, all tumbled together. Sure, sound like my husband. Uh, yeah, filled with uh, toxic uh, thoughts. Well, minus that part, but he thinks I'm random too. <laughs> In this case, there is no correlation between the oddities in the first statement and the second or the third or the fourth. What is the promised day? When is it? What is it called? Why does it exist? What is it, what's supposed to happen on it? None of it is addressed here. I know what it is. That's because I know Satan. And I know Satan because I know mm -hmm. Yahweh. There is no explanation as to how or why it is related to Allah. And in his case, swearing by the stars having mansions or the zodiac serving as signs, other than it is a sign of an irrational and disordered mind. Verse 3. And by the witnessing day, and by the witnessed day, bearing witness. Likewise, what is it witnessing? What day are we talking about? What does it have to do with any of this? Why is another inane object, an inanimate object, providing a witness for a supposed God? Which day is speaking to us? Did the day see or hear something and now wants to talk about it? Is, that, is all of that out of touch with reality? Or is he simply so desperate for validation that he has to rely on inanimate objects? And clearly, the Islamic scholars are aware of this problem. Because otherwise, why would they feel the compunction to add their words to a supposedly perfect book comprised billions of years ago by the pen of their God. Now, for those that don't know, according to Allah, before the universe was created, before the earth was created, before there was any matter, there was the pen. And while there wasn't a book, the pen nonetheless was told to write. And the pen didn't know what to write, even though we have uh, a total uh, fatalistic situation here where the pen should have known everything since there's total fatalism. And since the pen was told to write everything that would ever happen, how did it not know what to write? Anyway, the pen writes, and it creates this book that doesn't exist. And then that book is handed down to Muhammad, who was illiterate. And during the whole time of Muhammad's life, there was never a book. And yet, Paul is constantly saying, my book is perfect, and yet he never produced a book. In fact, there wouldn't be a book for 100 years after Muhammad's death. 
But nonetheless, this book was allegedly written before the universe was created, and it is rife with mistakes. Yeah, that's not quibble. <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing my best to, uh, to, to measure up to Elia. Uh, he is my hero when it comes to this sort of thing. If you're bothered at all by my sarcastic tone, tough. Uh, it's what God prefers. Uh, I work for him. Uh, he's happy mm-hmm. with uh, this approach. He's bringing Elia back, who was, you know, such a minor prophet. He doesn't even have a book named after didn't write anything down. And then he's bringing Elia back. Why? Because Elia was the greatest orator in the history of orators from God's perspective. Why? Because he was exceedingly anti-religious, anti-political, and unbelievably sarcastic. Man had game. Man. <laughs> he could talk the talk and walk the walk. And this is Elia's approach. If you don't like it, take it up with God. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Cursed, verse 4. Cursed are the men of the trench, the ditch, and the pit. Now, moving from celestial castles to zodiacal signs, from promised day to days serving as witnesses, Allah dives right into cursing humankind. But what is the connection? Why go there? Where, where is there, by the way? Yeah, Within yeah. the Quran and Hadith, there are multiple references to trenches, ditches, and pits. And they're all incriminating. There was the ditch associated with Muhammad's decision to rob the caravan of his own people at Badar. Muhammad entered it to gloat over the first Muslims, the first, actually, people that Muslims had killed, civilians. that They just murdered for no other reason than Muhammad thought it would be fun. Then there's the trench that uh, Muhammad's terrorist dug to keep his kin from seeking revenge after all of the times that this nonprofit had plundered his own people. So then there was the ditch that was dug in, in Yathrib, where Muhammad buried the many hundreds of Jewish men and boys that the first Muslims had decapitated, making a sport of killing. And of course, there's the pit of hell, where these Islamic fires rage, and the men who disbelieve are serving as faggots. The clues which follow are not particularly helpful, which is why one of the five publishing companies filled with Islamic scholars augmenting Allah's dark diatribe Uh, offered a guess. And in his version, the guess was uh, the pit is underscored by the story of the boy and the king. Okay, sure enough. Uh, Verse 5, full of fire, fed by faggots, when they sat by it and they witnessed what they were doing to the believers, i.e., in the parenthetical, burning them. Why are we told that these men became the faggots to feed to the fire? Which, by the way, is rude. That's not nice. And why, uh, or yet, they they sat by it, which is an odd response for someone who is ablaze. Nonetheless, this produced the fifth set of witnesses after the stars, the zodiacal signs, the promised day, and the daily witnesses witnessing. But even then, what did they see? What did they hear? and then testify about. 
The chronic answer appears to be incredulous, suggesting that the flaming faggots who were sitting around were witnessing who witnessed what they were doing to the believers. But how is this possible and that they were the ones being roasted? How could they be the ones doing the burning if they're the ones being burned? Since it was not self-immolation, it was being done to them, not by them. So are we to believe that Allah is telling Muslims that unbelievers are going to do to them what they have done to others? And if so, wouldn't that be divine justice? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to explain since Allah insists that this was being done to the believers. We're out of options when trying to explain why, even by whom, where, or when this occurred, should it be more than a figment of Muhammad's sadistic imagination. Verse 8. They had nothing against them, except they believed in Allah, the Almighty, owner of praise. Should this be a disclosed, an undisclosed tale of unbelievers uh, roasting Muslims, then having read the entire story, I can assure you that they, they had cause. Yeah, Muhammad sure. and the first Muslims connect, uh, conducted 75 terrorist raids. They made their living through mass murder and plunder. They were professional rapists. Yeah. These things tend to annoy folks. Yep. Yeah, you want to see what uh, uh, what the response is when you rape little children? Look at the pictures oh. coming out of Gaza. Oh. Who to whom belongs sovereignty of the heavens and the earth? Allah is witness of all things. Well, in a rational world, Allah inherits nothing but shame. His Quranic rantings unleashed a horrible plague on humankind. But beyond this, why should Allah be praised since he was unable or unwilling to keep his believers from becoming charcoal briquettes? How can Allah have sovereignty over the earth if he cannot protect a handful of people in a ditch? Never the mind. Lo, verily, they who try the <laughs> believers, men and women, and repent not, Theirs verily will be the doom of hell, and theirs is the doom of burning in the fire. Rather than offer a helping hand, perhaps a little rain might help. All Allah can muster is to threaten burning the arsonists. Attaboy, Allah. You tell them who's boss of the sandbox. Fire for fire. Not now, since you are impotent. Maybe later, when no one is looking. This then brings us to the supposed criterion, uh, excuse me, the supposed uh, recreation account. Uh, the garden wasn't for Adam, but instead for believers doing good deeds, none of which have been explained. And in Allah world, the rivers do not flow out of the garden, but instead beneath it. And that is a sign of great success. Allah's creative endeavors were then interrupted to frighten his slaves. 85.10. Lo, the punishing grip of your Lord is severe. What this has to do with the garden floating above the rivers, 
of course, is anyone's guess. Alas, the journey through the <laughs> demented realm of the devil's brain produced a nugget worth savoring. Quran 85.13 Lo, it is he who initiates, then repeats, creates, and then reproduces. To which Allah's little helpers at the noble Quran added, who initiates and repeats punishment, and then reproduces punishment in the hereafter, or reproduces the original creation of everything only to repeat it on the day of resurrection. I think Allah's little helpers added twice as many words as Allah actually <laughs> dictated. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're left with three options. One, Allah loves punishment so much that he's never done. There's always the occasion for more punishment. Two, Allah can't get anything right the first time. So he's back at the drawing board, refried beans and all. And three, Allah is the God of revisionism and replacement, taking what Yahweh and his co-workers have done and then recasting it all to suit his agenda. Now, since the rest of the surah is slightly less lame, but is nonetheless worth ridiculing, let's continue. The first of the rest reveals that the ungod who begins punishment and then repeats punishment in the hereafter is schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And he is the forgiving <laughs> and loving. <laughs> I've always wanted to to know a loving punisher, don't you? (laughs) Uh, uh, Who could think of somebody more forgiving than someone who is roasting people over a fire? Uh, He is he is the loving, the, the the forgiving, the owner and lord of the throne of glory, who does as he pleases. Has the story of the hordes reached you? Of Farun and Thalmud? Nay, the infidels in denying, and Allah encompasses them from behind. Nay, this is indeed a glorious Quran on a guarded tablet. <laughs> okay, that was Quran 14 through 22. So let's see if we have this right. I'm going to try to help God out here. Uh, The God who never misses an opportunity to torture those who do not believe him and capitulate to him, and the sadistic spirit who repeatedly burns people alive, is actually forgiving and loving. As proof of this, he owns his own throne and wants you to know that it is glorious, even if he is pathetic. It is for Muslims to know that he can be capricious, as uh, he'd uh, like. He can do whatever he wants because he is not bound by his words. Mm-hmm. His promises are a waste of the pen's ink well. because he does what he pleases. And that means torture pleases him. Said on God has not yet mastered the art of transition and... While his grasp is severe, it isn't on reality. There were no Faruns or Thamuds 
and what do said imaginary hordes have to do with Allah's chair in the clouds? Right. Sneaky guides that sneak up behind people are no better than inarticulate ones, so I suggest disposing of this one. And once again, what is the connection between Allah being on the denying infidels like fleas on a camel and this collection of incongruous stories being glorious. Finally, how can the tablet, which was previously a book, be guarded and disclosed at the same time and yet not actually exist? Well, that's the end of the surah. It leaves us wondering why Allah would bother with creation and recreation if it was all to be so painful. The answer seems that the ungod is insecure and lonely. Quran 51:56. I have created jinn, which are demons, and men only to worship me. I do not want anything from them. Imagine creating the universe for no reason whatsoever other than your find torture pleasing. I created jinn, demons, and men only to worship me. I don't want anything from them. Let's be perfectly clear. The religious are confused. The idea of a superior being creating an inferior being to worship him is asinine. It renders the being insecure, narcissistic, and pathetic. And while that may be an adept portrayal of Allah, worship is well below God's dignity. God does not want to be worshipped. He never asked man to worship him, but Allah does. We will continue to record and we'll continue to communicate to those who are listening on the uh, the phone. Um, our our broadcast period for this particular program is over, but uh, we can go another uh, 30 minutes, uh, not quite that much longer, before Blog Talk Radio cuts us off, and I've been a bit long-winded. So uh, we'll continue to use this time to make a little progress on the uh, the rest of the uh, 51st uh, Surah of the Quran, I read uh, 5156 that God concludes that he created jinn, demons, and men only to worship him, and he does not want anything from anybody. I think we should linger here a bit moment, uh, a bit longer, uh, to discover what the inarticulate and irresistible proclaimed. Quran 511. By that scatter dust are broadcast, and that bear the load, and that glide with ease, and those who distribute by command, lo, wherewith you are threatened is true, and lo, the judgment will take place. The heavens heaves with tracks as a witness. Lo, you have different ideas and are surely caught in contradictions, from which only he turns who is turned away. Cursed will be those who speculate as conjectures, who are unclear and under a cover of heedlessness, flooded by confusion, 
in a neglectful abyss. They ask, when is the day of judgment? A day when they will be tried over and burnt in fire. Taste you the trial of burning. This is what you asked would be hastened. Now, I dare say that of what I just read to you, there are probably one-third of that where they were actually sentences that had a subject-object-verb that mm-hmm. was a complete sentence and made sense. Well, it doesn't make, make sense, but it's actually a, a, a sentence. You know, for yeah. example, uh, and lo, the judgment will take place. It's completely out of context with the rest of it, and the, the, uh, the five verses that came before it are completely nonsensical. By that scattered mm-hmm. dust or broadcast, and that bear the load, and that glide with ease, and those who distribute by command, no. Lo, wherewith you are threatened is true. No. It's only the sixth that's actually a statement. And lo, the judgment will take place. It doesn't relate to anything that came before it, but at least a sentence. Other than that quibble. The heaves webbed with tracks is witness. Senseless. Lo, you have different ideas that are surely caught in contradictions. It's a sentence. Lo, good for you. What are those different ideas? What are the contradictions? Who's talking? To whom? Why? Where? When? From which only he turns who is turned away? Not, not sensible. Cursed will be those who speculate as conjectures? Yep. For what reason? Eh, not so much. <laughs> who under a cover of heedlessness, heedlessness Flooded by confusion in a neglectful abyss? Not sensible. They ask, what is the day of judgment? Oh, that's a question. You, are you stated as a real sentence? They forgot the subject and the verb. It is, is not actually part of the test. A day when they will be tried over and burnt in the fire. Taste you the trial. Doesn't say added burning. And an exclamation point. This is what you asked would be hastened. Do you think there's anybody out there that says, please, i just really looking forward to you burning me. Can you please bring on the burning? I can't handle the, the weight any longer. You know, I want to be burned, and I want to be burned now. Oh, in hell with their God. Oh, good grief. Well, it surely <laughs> seems to be self-explanatory to me. Allah is a snake who slithered out of the garden, with ease, and into the agitated minds of Arabs. And the wicked web he has woven is his witness. But if you have different ideas, like preferring a real god to this toxic serpent, then surely you are caught up in making too big a deal of Allah's contradictions. And as a cursed speculator, you are flooded with confusion about the realization that the oft-forgiving and loving Allah intends to roast you alive over a pit of fire. After all, you asked for it. <laughs> Strange as all of that seems. Why did the non-prophet contradict himself and his ungod in this next statement? This happens to be from Tabati. Volume 1, 189. And the messenger took me by the hand, oh, he's so loving and kind, and said, 
Allah created soil on Saturday. Upon it, he created the mountains on Sunday. He created the trees on Wednesday, forgetting all about Monday and Tuesday. Scattered animals on Thursday and made Adam the last of his creatures after the afternoon prayer on Friday. (laughs) Allah begins on a Saturday rather than a Sunday. Uh, and Monday, and after taking a much-needed race to rest on Tuesday, he forgot the city's water and cultivation and dispenses with the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, as well as paradise. Then Allah creates man after the afternoon prayer. So, who was praying to whom? (laughs) Sabari 1-189. The Jews asked the prophet, what about Sunday? You forgot Sunday. The prophet answered, oh, on it, Allah created the earth and spread it out. They asked about Monday, and he replied, on it, he created Adam. So much for the afternoon prayer, or on the last supper of Friday. Then he asked about Saturday, and he mentioned God's resting on it. The prophet grew very angry. So Allah then revealed to him, we have created the heavens and the earth, and whatever is in them and between them in six days and fatigue did not touch us. <laughs> uh, this is so pathetic and so obviously Satan. I just don't know how so many people have missed it. Anyway, this became Quran 5038. It's interesting that Allah was of no help whatsoever providing Muhammad with a rational explanation of creation or even help in keeping his story straight. But when it came time to embarrass the God of the Jews, he jumped in with a handy Quranic revelation. It says in essence, my God is better than your God because my God didn't need to rest. But that's a problem. The gods were supposed to be the same. Even worse for Islam, according to the prophet Yashaya, the Babylonian lord who uh, thought that he was better than Yahweh, well, that's Satan. Wow. As is our yeah. custom, let's not let one verse of the Quran stand alone. After all, we wouldn't want to be accused of cherry-picking turds out of a cesspool of excrement, would we? <laughs> yeah. Come to find out. Well, I tell you what, I'm just stirring up, I'm sure, Muslims worldwide. They're just blowing fuses here. But if they'd actually listen to how stupid the Quran is and how utterly moronic Muhammad is, maybe they would cool down long enough to not want to go off and kill everybody on behalf of these nincompoops. Well, anyway, uh, come to find out, one of the many creation claims in the Quran was strewn among some real gems. Quran, 51. Oof! <laughs> These letters, <laughs> by the way, there's only one of them, <laughs> are one of the miracles of the Quran, and none but Allah knows their meaning. <laughs> by the glorious Quran. <laughs> the letter uh, in Hebrew is called it's drawn to present the sun on the horizon. It represents uh, uh, um, a new day um, mm-hmm. and or the light uh, 
um, giving way to uh, to darkness. Um, yeah. uh, I'm gonna type in and here because I forgot it in the the process. Got it. Okay. Um, but by saying that there's a letter here uh, and that only Allah knows their meaning, and that's a miracle. We're not dealing with very smart people. Nay, nay I agree with the nay there. That, that's that's a stupid. They marvel and they wonder that a warner has come to them of themselves. So the unbelievers say, this is a wonderful and strange thing. Now, I will guarantee you, there is, there is no unbeliever that ever said this is a wonderful thing, speaking about Muhammad and the Quran. But nonetheless, we'll let them to have their fantasy. Third verse. When they are dead and have become dust, that would be a far return. We, for we know that the earth consumes of them, for we have the recording book. Nay, but they deny the truth when it came to them, so they are in a confused state. <laughs> not, not the ungod or non-profit. No. Six, of course not. <laughs> have they not looked at the sky above them and know that we have fashioned and adorned it, constructing and making it without rifts, without gaps or flaws? We, we stretched out and spread out the earth and placed on it firm stabilizers. Oh, good. <laughs> we have made, oh, yeah, really. <laughs> That's uh, lucky for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We have made every kind of lovely growth. <laughs> and vision, a reminder for every penitent slave. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know. Allah finally got one thing right. We do marvel and wonder <laughs> why anyone would believe this strange assortment of bogus braggadocio. Charles Manson wrote more cogent prose on the walls of his victims' homes. <laughs> he was a murderous and sadistic psychopath. Calm down, dude. So the believers say, this is a wonderful and strange thing when we are dead and have become dust that would be a far return. We know that the earth consumes them, for we have the recording book. Nay, but they deny the truth when it came to them, so they're in a confused state. But never you mind, because the proof is found in the gapless sky that has no roof or rifts in it, and the earth stabilizers. It is a yeah. vision for every penitent slave. By the way, Yahweh, when he talks about creating the universe, he says that the, the uh, universe is spread out and that it is expanding. And it is spread mm -hmm. out. In fact, the universe is not spherical, but actually flat. Uh, and it is not only spread out, it is expanding, exactly the way he said. And that the, uh, uh, but Allah has it reversed. In Allah's case, it is the earth that is spread out, like kind of like a, a pancake, uh, but but not the not the universe. Now, it should be obvious at least. Now, before we have entered the terrorist surahs, uh, there are only three salient themes in this portion of the Quran. Number one, despite all evidence to the contrary, 
Allah is the one and only God. Number two, if you don't believe him or his nonprofit, he will threaten to torture you as he has falsely bragged of terrorizing others. Number three, the worst book ever written is the best because, well, Allah says so. And advancing his uh, reputation um, as the most idiotic, impotent, wannabe creator ever, Allah continues to brag about his prior exploits as the destroyer. Quran 50.12 Denied before them the people of Nu, that would be Noah, the dwellers of Rath and the the Mud, and the Ad and Varun, and the brethren of Lut, and the dwellers of the Wood, and the people of Tuba. Every one of them denied the messengers, so my threat became a reality. Were we exhausted by the first creation? Nay, they are in confused doubt about a new creation. Okay, dealing with Allah's little problem of impotency first, assuming that this inane, uh, this issue uh, uh, is an issue with snakes, and I, I, I don't know if impotency really is, so maybe I'm, I'm pushing this too far. But nonetheless... Noah did not have people. Nope. In fact, it was his avoidance of people that made him acceptable to God. Moreover, Yahweh gets credit for that one, not the revisionist replacement with his new creation account. Rosh, Thalmud, and Ad are mythical foes because Allah is incapable of dealing with so much as a single intelligent individual. If not for convincing jihadists to murder for him, Allah would be a fangless snake. If we were to assume that Muhammad couldn't say Pharaoh and butchered the potentate's title with Faroon, then Allah is again trending on Yahweh's story regarding his showdown with the Egyptian potentate. Moreover, on that feat, Yahweh had a partner. Yep as was the case with the Ark, disqualifying disqualifying Allah, who brags about working alone. And Mm -hmm. as for Lot, he was part of Yahweh's accounting too. Moreover, Abraham was his brethren, not the Sodomites. His people were not the Sodomites. His people were Abraham and Sarah. I'll throw the ungod a bone and spot him the wood dwellers, since Allah loved to play with fire uh, and... Forested areas are few and far between between in the the Arabian desert. He may have torched them, for all we know. As for the people of Tuba, now we're going to start this. I don't know how far we're going to get into this. This is an amazing story. You read this over the the week. This was one of the most exciting finds so far. I mean, I I absolutely love this story because in trying to – come up with this idea that Allah, uh, you better be afraid of Allah because while he can't do anything uh, today, um, uh, he has to promise of of threats uh, tomorrow, the day of doom, or of threats uh, to mythical people in the past. That's the only way that Allah can show that he has any ability to do anything. So he mentions the people of Tuba. And I, first time I went through this, I just wrote it off, okay, there's no people of Tuba. Uh Aha. But there are. Mm. 
And Allah incinerated his own credibility by bringing them into this conversation. So let me explain. Tuba, it's 2-U-B apostrophe A. Uh, it was actually an honorific title. And it was used by the Hemurites. Uh, it's Malakat, Himyar in Hebrew, who inhabited the southwestern tip of the Arabian Peninsula, which would be Yemen today. Mm-hmm. It means one who follows the sun like a shadow. Kings were descendants of a South Arabian patriarch, Khatan, who dates as far back as 1000 BCE, making them contemporaries of King David. Dote. Ruling over Saba, which is Sheba, according to mm-hmm. Dode, and mm-hmm. Hemyar, and what became Yemen, the elite referred to themselves as Mukarib, near to God. Then a particularly adventurous descendant in the late 7th century BCE, Karabil, which is from Kara, El, meaning called by God in Hebrew, rose to become their most influential ruler, establishing the Sabaean kingdom. He is said to have embraced Jewish customs, changing his title to Malek, the Hebrew word for king. It is interesting to note that these people, also known as the Sabaeans, had a written language, Sabiac, which dates back to the 8th century BCE. It's scribed very similar to Hebrew, with a shared alphabet, shared consonants, and shared vowels. When they are set side by side, and you see Hebrew on the same, or uh, Arabic on the same column, (laughs) guess where Arabic came from? The story of the Hemurites, the people of Tuba, who were previously known as the Sabaeans, is even more devastating to the Quran's credibility. Turns out, the opposite of what Allah claims is true. Rather than the ungod destroying the people of Tuba, the people of Tuba destroyed him. They're the ones who actually gave rise to Islam. The original Quranic God and surahs both came not from Allah, but from the Himyarites. The people of Tuba abandoned Arabian polytheism and they converted to Judaism in 380 CE, several decades after their kin in Ethiopia had converted to Christianity. As a result, the people of Tuba in today's Yemen shuttered all of their pagan temples and eliminated references to their pagan deities, creating the model that Muhammad would follow. And since rabbinic Judaism, which was in full flower at the time, outlawed Yahweh's name, the Hemurites, the Sabaeans, called the God of Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob, the God of Moshe and Dode, drumroll please, Rachman. Mm-hmm. It is a corruption of the Hebrew word Rakam, merciful. 
The first God of the Quran is not Allah. He is Rahman. The first surahs of the Quran chronologically are all from Yemen. And the first God who even has a surah devoted to him is the God of the Yemenites, Rahman. Yes, it was the people of Tuba who provided the Quran's first surahs and even the Quran's first God. They are the role for Arab monotheism and that they were converts to Judaism. Mm -hmm. Now, the story gets better or worse, depending on your perspective. Mm -hmm. Central to this story is Tuba Abd Kariba Assad. He lived from 370 to 433 CE. He led the conversion from Arab paganism to Judaism following a military expedition into northern Arabia. He was the real Muhammad. At the time, he was trying to stem the influence of the Byzantines. They wanted to control the spice trade from India that passed along the coast of his Himyarite kingdom. This is also devastating to Islam because it means that the trade already at that time moved by sea on ships through the Arabian Gulf and did not move by camel inland through Mecca. Mm -hmm. Now returning to the story of the people of Tuba. We discover that the Byzantines, while successful with the, the Hemorite Ken uh, in the kingdom of Asum in today's Ethiopia, were unable to subdue the Hemorites or convert the population to Christianity. And this is where the plot thickens. In his quest to forestall the influence of the Byzantines in Arabia, Tuba, Kariba, pursued them as far north as, drumroll please, Yathrib. Yathrib. There, Tuba met so little resistance from the Jewish date farmers that he left his son behind, imposing him over the Jews as governor, obviously expecting tribute. Displeased with the imposition, the residents of Yathrib killed him. So, Tuba Kariba returned to avenge his son's death, wrecking vengeance on Yathrib. By the way, for those that do not know, Islam was born in Yathrib, Mm -hmm. today's Medina. After cutting down all the date palms from which the Jews derived their living, the people of Tuba laid siege to Yathrib. And in their defense, Jews fought alongside their parent, their pagan Arab neighbors. However, during the attack, Tuba, Kariba, became severely ill. Hearing of this, two rabbis, Ka'ab and Assad, were allowed out of Yathrib to attend to the ailing king. Using their medical knowledge, they quickly restored Tuba's health. In the king's good graces now, they pleaded with Tuba to lift the siege. 
he not only complied, he was so impressed with the rabbis that he accepted Judaism, and he converted his entire army. And then he arranged for the two rabbis, Gaab and Assad, to accompany him back to the Hemorite capital, not far from today's Sa'ana, where they were welcomed with open arms because well, from the 5th century BCE, there had always been a substantial Jewish presence in Sana'a. This grew considerably more voluminous after the Diaspora in 133 CE. As an interesting aside, the descendants of these ethnic Jews who were moved into ghettos upon the imposition of Islam less than three centuries thereafter in the 7th century CE, then, of course, when the State of Israel was formed in 1948, they were exiled with the remaining 51,000 Jews. Robbed of their homes and their possessions, they were exiled from Yemen to Israel, where they were immediately attacked, of course, by Muslims. Mm. Back home with Tuba Kariba, the king immediately forced his entire kingdom to convert to Judaism, which was generally well accepted. But shortly thereafter, Tuba kill, was killed in a military coup d'etat. He was succeeded by a pagan named Gru Shan Atar, once again blending pagan myths with, which the, uh, with the accounts of the Torah, um, exactly as we witness in Islam. All the while, the people of Tuba lived out their lives in peace without any calamity befalling them. This is an absolute contradiction of Allah's terrorist, terrorist braggadocio in the Quran. And make no mistake, Allah ins inseminated himself with his own venom and struck a fatal blow to Muhammad and Islam by claiming that he destroyed the people of Tuba, when the truth is just the opposite. The people of Tuba created Islam, its first god and its first surahs, and indeed its very heart and soul. This is so lethal to Islam, robbing Muhammad of his one claim to fame, bringing monotheism to Arabs, introducing them to their God, and revealing the Quran. I'd like to share some of the rest of the story, but we'll have to wait to next week to, uh, to do that, um, because uh, we've we're going to be cut off in less than uh, than 30 seconds. So thank you very much for listening. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've brought some humor to what mm -hmm. is a very dark story. Um, I care deeply about Israel and, and the defense of Israel against uh, Islam. And the best weapon I know against this deadly religion is to expose and condemn it, to ridicule it, so that even mm -hmm. Muslims will look at their God and their prophet and recognize they have been played for fools. May Yahweh bless Yisrael and bless Yehudim and the Covenant family. I look forward to being with you this time next week. Good night. Good night, Yael. Good night, Kirk. Thank you.